our Bibles today, please, to the book of 1 Samuel in the Old Testament. You can find it uh, nearby, the book of Judges, Ruth, 1 Kings. Thank you. Take the candy and put it down there. 1 Samuel chapter 1, I'd like to talk to you today about a woman of faith. You know, one of the reasons we like the Bible so much is because it takes all the veneer off. You know, there's, it gives us the good, the bad, the ugly. Uh, it doesn't just give us a good story about some people. It tells us about their struggles in life. And that helps us because we all have struggles too. Uh, Hannah is this woman of faith this morning. She's a real mother uh, I read somewhere that real mothers would like to be able to eat a whole candy bar all by themselves, drink a Coke without having any floaters in it. Real mothers know that their kitchen utensils are probably in the sandbox, and real mothers often have sticky floors, uh, filthy ovens, and happy kids. Real mothers know that dried clay does not come out of shag rugs. Real mothers do not want to know what the vacuum cleaner sucked up. Real mothers sometimes ask, why me? And they get the answer when they hear this little voice that says, because I love you best. Real mothers know that a child's growth is not measured by height or years or grade. It's marked by the progression from mama to mom to mother. Real mothers are a class unto themselves. Real mothers have an investment in the future because their children are the future. Real mothers are selfless when it comes to their children. They'll put up with uh, dirty diapers, throwing up, spitting up, and crying for hours. They give up their time and their sanity because this child is theirs. They're selfless because they're real mothers. Uh, I want to take this morning a fresh look at a real mother uh, in the Bible and share some of the lessons that we can learn there this morning. So we're going to begin reading in verse number one of Samuel chapter one. Now there was a certain man of Raphathan, Zophan, of the mountains of Ephraim, and his name was Elkanah, the son of Jerahim, the son of Eliah, the son of Johah, the son of Zoph, and Ephraimite. And he had two wives, the name of one was Hannah, and the name of the other Paniah. Paniah had children, but Hannah had no children. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and sacrifice to the Lord of hosts of Shiloh. Also the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, the priest of the Lord, were there. Now later on in, the, in the, the book of Samuel, we learn about the wickedness of these two priests, Hophni and Phinehas. Uh, a lot of things go on in the name of religion. Some of it is good and some of it is bad. Verse 4, and whenever the time came for Elkanah to make an offering, he would give portions to Paniah, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. Biblical commentaries sometimes say that uh, Elkanah married Hannah first. And after a period of a number of years without being able to bear any children, it was customary for them to, well, let's find another wife who can give us children in our home. And so the second wife was Paniah. But to Hannah he would give a double portion, for he loved Hannah, although the Lord had closed her womb. And her rival, 
also provoked her severely to make her miserable, because the Lord had closed her womb. So it was year by year when they went up to the house of the Lord that she provoked her, therefore she wept and did not eat. This was a time when the whole family had to be together, and I guess, you know, when you put the whole family together, all sorts of crazy things happen. And uh, this was Paniah's opportunity to make life even more miserable for Hannah than she, had done, than she did before. Then Elkanah, her husband, said to her, Hannah, why do you weep? Why do you not eat? And why is your heart grieved? Am I not better to you than ten sons? A typical man, he didn't know what was going on. And uh, he says, listen, don't you think I'm better than them? And, I, and she didn't want to answer that question. So Hannah arose after they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh. Now Eli the priest was sitting on the seat by the doorpost of the tabernacle of the Lord. And she was in bitterness of soul and prayed to the Lord and wept in anguish. Now here's her vow that she made to God. Have you ever made a vow to the Lord? Have you ever said, got in a real bind and you said, Lord, if you get me out of this, I'll promise you anything. I'll give you the world. I think most of us have done that. Uh, she's come to this place in her life where she's in a corner. She's in a corner and she has to get out of this corner. And so she makes this promise to God. Look at it. Then she made a vow and said, O Lord of hosts, if you will indeed look on the affliction of your maidservant. Now that's a very humbling statement right there. Maidservant. Uh, it's uh, the equivalent of a slave. And remember me, and not forget your maidservant, but will give your maidservant a male child. Then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life, and no razor shall come upon his head. So she makes this, uh, this promise to God. Lord, give me a child. I'll give him right back to you. And so she's praying and, and praying. And look down to verse number 18. And she said, let your maidservant find favor in your sight. So the woman went her way and ate, and her face was no longer sad. And I've written in the margin of my Bible this, she relinquished the burden to God. How many times have we come to God and we have this big burden on our heart and we pray and pray and pray, and we uh, get up off of our knees or we, whatever position we're in, and we go our way and we feel like we never left the burden behind, we still have it. Uh, we couldn't relinquish it. That's what she did right here. She relinquished her burden. She was no longer sad. And then they rose early in the morning and worshiped before the Lord and returned and came to the house of Ramah and Elkanah, knew Hannah, his wife, and the Lord remembered her. And it came to pass in the process of time that Hannah conceived and bare a son and called his name Samuel, saying, because I have asked him of the Lord. That's the meaning of the name Samuel. Uh, we see, first of all, in this passage of Scripture this morning, the circumstances of a woman of faith. You know, everyone has circumstances. Uh, the Jews in the city of Odessa, Ukraine today are contemplating a rescue. They're contemplating moving out of that town because they fear the outbreak of anti-Semitism is becoming rampant in that section of the world. Everybody has circumstances. She had hers. Her nation was worse than ours. It was a nation in crisis. And the reason why we get this is because of, the, because of Judges 21-25. This is what it says. 
In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did that which was right in his own eyes. You know what happens to a country when everybody does that? Proverbs 14, 12 says, There's a way that seems right to men, but the end thereof are the ways of death. When everybody in the country does what feels good, there's no perimeters, there's no parameters, uh, there's, no, there's just no regulation, uh, the country goes right down the tubes. Proverbs 14.34 says this, God devotion makes a country strong. God avoidance leaves people weak. Well, her country was very weak, but she was spiritually strong. Not only did she face a country in crisis, but there was a lot of religious pollution there as well. Look at verse 3. This man went up from his city yearly to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts. And also the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, uh, the priests of the Lord, were there. Now here we have a contrast between good and evil. And in our life, we have to make this decision. Which one of these camps will we live our life in? Uh, will we uh, gravitate toward the things of God or will we gravitate toward the things of the world? Hophni and Phinehas, they were the priests of the Lord. They're mentioned by name because they were notoriously wicked. Uh, it is one thing to have a notorious wicked priest on duty, but it's another thing to keep them on duty. And they were kept on duty. Uh, the mention here shows how godly Elkanah was. Even though these priests were wicked, he still offered sacrifices to the Lord knowing that the wickedness of the priest did not make his own service to God invalid. And we have to keep this in mind as a Christian today. You know, it's easy to get tripped up by people, isn't it? It's easy to look at somebody and boy, say, that person's a real big hypocrite and just turn me off to the things of God. Don't ever let that happen to you. Don't ever let that happen. Don't let that be a barrier. Now, Elkanah knew that when he showed up at Shiloh to make these sacrifices, he was going to meet up with these very, very wicked priests but it didn't stop him. He didn't hide behind their hypocrisy. Uh, he didn't make them an excuse for his not meeting up with God. Uh, and you might say, well, this is really a rare thing not to let other people get in the way of your spiritual life. Uh, but you know, that's the way it always has been. Rarely is the majority the custodian of truth. You know, if you are going to serve the Lord, you're going to the minority. You're just uh, one in a million. Uh, we call them a remnant, the family El of Elkanah. He was committed to this pilgrimage because remember in Deuteronomy 16, uh, there was this command that they were to come to Jerusalem at least three times a year for the festivals. Well, they did that faithfully. But there was a lot of competition going on in the home here of the woman of faith. I think it would be a pretty hard job to be a referee between two wives, don't you think? Even harder being one of the wives. Sarah suffered ridicule, remember, at the hands of Hagar back in the book of Genesis. This was a challenging home environment. The other wife lived right there on the premises with her. And the Bible says that, uh, that this other wife provoked her. Now, the word provoked means thundered against, taunted her, made her miserable, uh, she probably was saying to her, the reason why you can't have children is because you have sin in your life, because that's what people thought back in those days. If uh, you're unable to, be, to have children, there's some evilness going on in your life. 
And so she probably kept throwing this in the face of, uh, of Hannah. And to add insult to injury, uh, Paniah had all these sons and daughters running around the house. According to the Midrash, which is the uh, Jewish commentary, uh, it says that uh, Paniah had at least 10 sons. And this tradition is based on Elkanah's question to Hannah, am I not devoted to you more than 10 sons? Well, this wasn't the normal thing that God wanted. Genesis 2.24 says, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife. There'll be one flesh, one woman, one man. He was, in other words, a polygamist. That's not God's ideal. Anything beyond God's ideal opens the door for so many problems. Solomon, I guess, was the, the grand example of this. But polygamy was a fact of life in the ancient world. The Bible never puts polygamy in a favorable light. Uh, she couldn't have children. It wasn't God's timing yet. God was working in her life. Remember this, God uses circumstances to work in your life and my life. He allows us to walk into the fire so that we can see him in the midst of the fire. Uh, she's crying, she wept, she didn't eat, she was in bitterness of soul, she was a person in pain. And chances are this morning in our church, there are some people here that fit that category this morning. You're in pain. Well, let me say that's not all bad because it's through pain that God has an opportunity to come into your life and change your life for the good. C.S. Lewis said one time, God whispers to us in our pleasures. You know, when the sun is shining and everything is, the bills are getting paid and everybody's happy, uh, we can't hear the voice of God very well, can we? C.S. Lewis says, God whispers to us in our pleasure. Um, the voice of God is faint then. He speaks to us in our conscience. You know, we know when we're doing something wrong and God just talks to us in our conscience, but he shouts to us in our pain. He shouts to us. Uh, pain is that little entrance that God comes into your life through. And you've been there, haven't you? If you've been there, say amen. Yes. God wanted her to do something that was not customary. And so here she is in the vice of God. And uh, this pain is coming upon her. And she's ready to make an extraordinary commitment to God. Despite her country's problems, despite her home environment, despite her inability to have children. Uh, God has a plan for her life. Now, my message to you today is that despite what's going on in your life or has gone on in your life or will go on in your life, God has a plan for your life. He just didn't stick you here to take up space on planet Earth. He has something special that he wants you to do for him no matter what environment you're in. Now, when we think about that, we think, why does God need me? Well, let me say to you that Psalm 8, 4 says, what is man that you're mindful of him or the son of man that you should care for him? God can do his work by himself. He can have angels do it. A number of other means, but the normal method that God finds to do his work is through people, through you and through me. And she was a godly person. And I think God does special things through special people who are somehow pretty well connected to God. 2 Timothy 2.21 says this, If you keep yourself 
pure. You will be a utensil for God's purpose. You'll be clean and ready for the master to use you for every good work. And so the Lord is looking down on her and he says here, listen, I see a woman who is a victim of her circumstances, but she has a pure heart. And I'm going to do something so extraordinary for her that the world will be talking about it for hundreds of years. We're still talking about it. Well, you know, uh, she didn't use her circumstances to excuse or dismiss God in her life. She could have said, well, God has never done anything for me. Look at me. But this woman had a commitment. This woman was committed, a committed person of faith. And she went with her family as, I think we could say, as dysfunctional as it was, uh, up to the capital of Israel at that time, which was Shiloh, uh, up to the tabernacle. And God is looking down in the heart of this woman is so well connected to God. And this verse comes to play, 2 Chronicles 16.9. It says, The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Now follow that. The eyes of the Lord range throughout the earth to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. Now Hannah is brokenhearted. And the eyes of the Lord are watching. And God says, you know, I'm going to strengthen her. I'm going to strengthen her. And in her pain, she prays. And the Bible says here she prays to the Lord of hosts. And you know what that means? The word host means heaven's armies, the angelic forces, the Lord of heaven's angelic forces. So she had her eyes focused on the Lord of heaven. And she comes to this climactic decision, God was directing her to make a decision. If God will give me a son, I'll give him back to the Lord all the days of his life. Now that's something different. That didn't happen very often. Uh, I understand that this family was a Levite. Uh, that's recorded in 1 Chronicles 6. Uh, and being a child... As a Levite, uh, this person was already dedicated to God, uh, as the tribe of Levi was. That was God's own special possession. But the time of the Levite's special dedication to the Lord only lasted from age 30 to age 50. Not a very long span. Hannah took something that was already devoted to God and completely devoted to God for his whole life. She said that my son will be a Nazarite. Uh, and that's a greater commitment right there. Uh, a Nazarite. In her mind, uh, she had already decided that if God gave her a son, she'd give him back. She was a godly woman. She had a connection to the Lord. She was a praying person. And, and, it, and the part of it that we didn't read this morning was the fact that whenever she went up and began to pray, she was not praying audibly. That was the normal method of prayer back then. People just prayed audibly. But she was praying in her heart to God, just moving her mouth, and Eli the priest accused her of being drunk. And she assured him, listen, I'm not drunk. I think she just wanted to pray that way so nobody could hear what she was praying about. Because when we pray to God in our heart, he hears us, right? We don't have to pray audibly. And so... She was uh, making some big commitments to God. My son is going to be a Nazarite. Uh, 
And what does that mean? That meant this, that he would abstain from any product of the grapevine, signifying distance from the fleshly pleasures of the world. He'd take no part in any mourning for the dead or come near a dead body because the dead showed the corruption and the fruit of the life of sin. Also, this showed that the Nazarite had greater concerns than the ordinary joys and sorrows of life. Uh, he would never cut his hair. He never spent a lot on barbers. Never cut his hair because that was a public sign uh, that he had this vow on him. Now, typically, the vow of a Nazarite was taken for a set short period of time. But Samuel and, and Samson were Nazarites for a long period of time. So she goes up there and she's pouring her heart out to God and she finally comes to that place in her life that she's ready to give her burden to God. Her burden to God. And she does it. She unburdens herself. Uh, God lifted the burden. You know, it's not always easy to give God the situations of our life, is it? How many times have we said, okay, this is the last time I'm going to pray about this. The last time I'm going to give this to God and we get up and we go and we say, ah, I think I'll do that again. Well, she said, listen, this is it, Lord. I'm unburdening myself. There's no telling how many years, many, I guess, that she was always worried about this. I can't have children. I can't have children. My husband doesn't love me. Uh, the other woman in the house hates me. Uh, I'm in the, and all this worry and anxiety all the time. I heard about a woman who for many years couldn't sleep at night because she worried that her home would be burglarized. One night her husband heard a noise in the house. So he went downstairs to investigate. When he got there, he found a burglar. The husband said to the burglar, come upstairs and meet my wife. She's been waiting for you for 10 years. So she had this burden. She wouldn't give it up. She was afraid. You know, a real burglar can steal from you once. Worry can steal from you night after night for many years. Worry not only steals our sleep, but worry steals our health, our abilities to cope with life, our productivity. We're encouraged to unburden ourselves. And Peter says this, cast all your care upon the Lord because he cares about you. Just take it all and give it to God. That's what she did. She took it all and she said, this is it, Lord. I'm giving it all to you. Uh, and she began to worship. Now, she didn't have a child in her hand when she began to worship, but she had the Lord in her heart. She held him close to her heart. Uh, she finally did business with God. Well, the Bible says that uh, the Lord remembered her and visited her and she conceived. And uh, she cared well for this little baby that God was giving her. Uh, you know, God gives kids to young people. You have to be young to keep up with them, don't you? Parents, say amen. Sure. You have to be young. God gives kids to young people. Joanne always reminds me of that. Uh, grandparents love to have grandkids come. How many grandparents are in the church? Raise your hand. Grandparents, okay. You're the more tired or people aren't tired. Yeah. It's fun to have the grandkids come, isn't it? Ours, when ours come, it's like we like uh, eat healthy for a week, get ready. And it's like a storm. It's like, it's incredible. It's just amazing. And after it's over, I know Joanna and I sit there and we look at each other and we can hardly move. We're paralyzed. 
And it's like this storm is over. It's like, what's wrong? There's no noise. And it, it's, it's, it just, it's an amazing sense. And, but a day later, you know what we're saying? I miss those little kids. Where are those kids? Well, uh, children are for young people. Uh, and so she's taking care of her new baby. And what a joy it is to have a new baby in the house. And, and uh, she's thinking about the, the commitment that she made to God. Uh, look at verse 22. But Hannah did not go up, for she said to her husband, Not until the child is weaned, then I'll take him that he may appear before the Lord and remain forever. Now follow this. Don't you think that if she made that commitment that she'd want to back out of it? Because sometimes we make commitments and we think, Why, why, why did I do that? That was too much. But she said, even with a baby in her arms, she said, listen, this is forever. I made a promise to God. And so she was remembering. She remembered her promise. And she was compliant too. The compliance of a woman of faith. She kept her vow. You know, there was a lot of personal cost here to serve the Lord. Uh, Little Samuel, she would go up, the Bible says, in chapter 2 with a new, uh, with a new coat for him every year. She'd, she'd say, I gotta, this year I understand he's grown a lot. I have to get four inches on this, on this little jacket for him. And uh, she'd, we have a picture of him somewhere with a little coat on. There he is. Yeah. And she would go up and every year she would present him with a new, uh, a new coat to wear, a robe. And but I, I don't know how many times she would go out up throughout the year to visit him. Uh, but, uh, but she fulfilled her commitment uh, and uh, she was doing something that people would talk about for hundreds of years. And uh, the moral of this whole story is this. God meets people where they are. That's the moral. You're here today and you're saying, you know, I'm going to really serve God one of these days when my circumstances get better. Forget that, please. Forget it. Wipe it away from your mind. Your circumstances do not have to get better. They may never get better. In fact, they could get worse. But God has a plan for everyone, and he meets everyone right where they are. God meets people where they are, and he uses them in their circumstances. Uh, the Bible says that the Lord visited her in, in chapter 2 so that she conceived and she bare three sons and two daughters. Um, bassinets, strollers, diapers everywhere, blocks, Legos. She probably said, but I just asked for one. But even more significant than that, she was the mother of Samuel. Do you know that Samuel is one of the greatest men in the Old Testament? He was the last of the judges and the most effective one. He was such a righteous man that he guided the nation of Israel back to God, away from their immorality and back to obedience to the law. He was so highly regarded uh, by God that there are two books in the Bible mentioned for him that bear his name. But a couple times God compares his righteousness to that of Moses. If you ask the people on the street, in Israel, who's the righteous, most righteous one? They would say Moses. Listen to this. Jeremiah 15.1 says, God condemns the sins of the nation of Judah, and he declares, now follow this, 
Even if Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not go out to this people. Now, yeah, I like to read about Moses in the Bible and his prayer life. You know, when he got in front of God, he got real bold. And he said, Lord, this is just the way it is. And the Lord said, okay, okay. I, I'd like for you to spare Israel. Spare them. God says, you got it. Power with God. God listened to Moses. But he says, even if Moses and Samuel were to stand before me, my heart would not go out. So he put Samuel right up on the pedestal with Moses. That's Hannah's boy. Now she has three more boys, two daughters. But I bet you don't know their names. We know Samuel's name. Samuel gives Hannah bragging rights. Uh, she's like the mother who pulls out her wallet and shares the pictures. I said that last night in our Saturday night service, and one of the ladies of the church was so nice as she left the building. She says, Pastor, I just want you to tell, tell you that people keep pictures now on their phone. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I forgot. You know, they keep them on their phone. I have 700 and some pictures on my phone, but most of them are cars. People do keep pictures on their phone now. She was trying to bring me right along into the real world. Well, she's like the mother who shares the picture of her son. Oh, he's a doctor now, or he's a lawyer. He owns the local business down here. Uh, Samuel, or she had bragging rights. She said, my son is Samuel. And it happened all because Hannah was a godly woman who prayed. You can become a person of faith no matter how many problems you have. She was a person who had faith in God. Uh, faith is the key that unlocks the door to God's blessings. Read the Old Testament. When you're walking in the presence of the Lord, God's blessing is with you. When you're not, his God's, God's blessing is removed from you. Uh, if you're here today and you've never accepted Christ as your personal Savior, that's the first step. Inviting Jesus into your heart so you have a spiritual direction. So you're going in the right direction. Your sins are forgiven and you can influence your circle of influence. Christ died on the cross for your sins. He was buried. He rose again. And he offers you the free gift of eternal life if you just reach out by faith to him. In spite of our circumstances, God has a plan for you. Would you say this with me this morning? God has a plan for me. Let's say it together. God has a plan for me. One more time. God has a plan for me. Now, if you walk out of this building today and you get in your car out there and you uh, think about that throughout the day, I'm going to be one happy pastor. God has a plan for you. Don't look at anybody else and say, hey, listen, God's hand is on them. Don't look at people like that. Just think about God's hand being right on you, for you. You're the person for whom Christ died. A mother prepares the heart of a child for their salvation. Mother, the greatest thing that you could ever do is take the hand of God and the hand of your child and put them together. Last Sunday morning, one of our young mothers in the church came into the, to the service. 
I saw her coming through the, uh, through the foyer there and I was standing by the door and she just came right up to me with a big, gigantic smile on her face and she says, Pastor, I just have to tell you this. My little daughter accepted Jesus this week as her savior. And I said, how old is she? And she said, she's five. She's five. It's incredible. Mothers, the influence you have is extraordinary. You don't find the people on television saying, hi, Dad, do you? They always say, hi, Mom. Hi, Mom. Our little grandson, Caden, was infatuated with me for a while. And I thought it would last. I really did. I thought it would last. When we go to visit him, he would jump up and down when he saw me coming. Actually, jump up and down. I thought, this is amazing. I, I just couldn't believe it. Like this. Well, things have changed in recent years. He calls on the phone now, and I say, how you doing, Caden? He says, is Grandma there? <laughs> he came uh, a couple weeks ago. He came busting in the door. I get down there, right down here real low to give him a hug, and he went right by me. He says, where's Grandma? That's the way it is at our house. My three sons call. You know what they say? If I answer the phone, let me talk to Mother. She listens. She encourages them. <laughs> they love to talk to her. Uh, Mother, you have the most wonderful, incredible job in the world. Uh, you have a chance to mold a heart. Don't let anything deter you. I know we have to provide for our kids a, a future. We have, to provide a, we have to provide a college and all these things. And all those things are good. But what shall it profit a son or a daughter if they gain the whole world and lose their own soul? This is the last verse this morning. 3 John verse 4 says this, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in truth. After the storm of life, young mothers, is over for you and your kids are out of the house and they have kids and they come to visit every now and then, you know what's going to be on your mind? This verse right here. And when you get old and down to the end of the road, you're just saying to God, oh God, that my kids would walk in truth. That's all I want. That's all I want. Well, do a good job in the beginning. Okay? Do a good job. Let's bow our heads in prayer. With our heads bowed and our eyes closed this, this morning, mothers, let me encourage you to, in spite of your circumstances, you have to do it in spite of that. In spite of uh, maybe a bad home situation, in spite of the unperfect marriage, in spite of everything, Worship God. Walk in His presence. And be determined to influence your circle of influence for Christ. Because at the end of the road, that's, that's the important thing. And so stay focused. If you're here today as a mother and you've been misfocused, let's get back on track again. Let's...
preach to our kids. Let's talk to them. Keep talking to them. Don't let up. Just keep instructing them, loving them, no matter where they are in this journey. Dear Lord, I pray today that you will take the lessons of Hannah and bounce them right off the pages of this book into our heart, Lord. And I pray for every mother especially today that they will walk out of this auditorium this morning and say, I have a new resolve. In spite of my circumstances, God has a plan for my life, and I'm going to live in that plan. Lord, bring this to pass in our life. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Let's stand together as we sing our closing song. If you'd like to come and pray here at the altar, you can do that. Let's just sing together, okay? No praise can define you. you are encouraged today. Mothers, we salute you. Have a great day. Turn around and shake hands with as many people as you can in the church. God bless you. You're dismissed.